this thing broke. Hello, hello. Now you guys get to see what. All right, fantastic. Now I don't have to yell. All right. Um, sorry about that. Yeah. So when uh, when I get the opportunity to preach, usually what I like to do is I like to go into Ron's office. I'm only 25 years old. Okay. And as much as I like to think that I'm wise, um, I don't have any kids. I just bought my first house, and this is really my only career that I've ever had. And so I like to go to Ron's office and say, Hey, you've been doing this longer than I have. Um, where would you go with this? What would, you know, what would you take out of the text? You know, you've, you know this congregation a lot better than I do, and you know, you're, you're, just, you're, you're better at this. I, and I try and pick his brain. And I said, so what would you do? And he said, well, in this passage, Paul is talking about, um, you know, he's confronting the sexual sin and the greed within his congregation. And he's telling them about their inheritance to the kingdom might be in jeopardy because of it. He said, is there an option B? <laughs> um... In, uh, obviously, I'm playing, but it, it, Paul is talking about these things. And this morning, uh, we're going to see a bit of a shift in Paul's message to the Ephesians. Um, if you've been joining us or if you haven't, what Paul's been doing up until this point is he's been encouraging the Ephesians to take off certain things and then to put on other things. Take off the things of the world and to put on the things of Christ. And this is what they've been. He's saying, take off falsehood and put on truth. Take off stealing and put on hard work. Take off any unwholesome trash talk and build others up. And take off anger and replace that with kindness and compassion. Um, and this morning we're going to look at uh, Ephesians 5, 3 through 14. And you'll notice that there are a few other things that Paul's asking us to take off. And one other thing that he's telling us to put on. Um, but that's not going to be our focus this morning. Because I think what Paul has to say afterwards is a lot more important for our time together. Um, so we're going to quickly touch on the two additional things that Paul is asking us to take off. Ephesians 5.3 says, But fornication and impurity of any kind or greed must not even be mentioned among you, as is proper among saints. So what we see is Paul is asking us to take off two things. He's asking us to take off sexual immorality, and he's asking us to take off impurity. Uh, and with these, the, the two Greek words here are very, very similar. And so Paul seems like he's repeating himself, but the reality is what he's saying is, I, I'm trying to cover all my bases. You know, we're, we're a people that like to say, okay, if I can't do this, I'm going to try and find anything that's close to it. He's saying, no, any and all sexual sin is off limits. Take that off. Uh, and no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There's no sexual activity outside of God's ordained context of a loving marriage that you should be participating in. That is the only sexual activity that you're allowed to participate in. And the main, and we're, we're honestly not going to talk much more about it this morning, not because I'm uncomfortable, not because I don't want to, um, but the reality is, is Paul is asking us to take these things off. He's saying, this is how you should act as a Christian. And for the most part, 
people inside of the church and even people outside of the church recognize this as a characteristic that Christians should uphold. That to be a Christian, to be a Christ follower means that we're not being sexually immoral, that we're not being um, impure. Those are, that's something that's, we, we, we've gotten that. Now, we haven't taught it very well sometimes, and we certainly haven't lived it out. Uh, we haven't been model citizens of it, but we do know that this is what we're called to most of the time. The other thing uh, that Paul says is take off greed. Um, and, and the Greek definition here is to desiring to have more than one's do, right? It's desiring to, to have the world uh, and everything in it. Or it's being covetous. You want something that doesn't belong to you. Now, this might seem a little weird at first. Why put greed with sexual immorality? Why, why lump those two together? Greed actually comes after sexual immorality. Are we saying that wanting someone's bike is just as bad as having an affair? Um, well, what's happening here is Paul's actually dealing with a cultural problem with the Ephesians. Uh, the Ephesians, they live in a, a part of the country that's rife with uh, sexual immorality. In fact, there's prostitutes in their temples. Okay, there is, uh, there's orgies that are happening within the context of their worship. They are not... Um, this is not something that, this is very normal to them to want other people's wives, to want other people's husbands. Um, so they've, they're very comfortable and they're very used to sexual immorality and the greed that comes along with that uh, to be associated with their religious beliefs and their acts of faith. And so uh, Paul is saying, uh, your greed for people. Yes, yes, greed is bad, but the greed that you have for people, th- that is not good. And there's a line that needs to be drawn. And we all recognize this, right? Like, you can have my bike, but you can't have my wife. Um, greed goes up a notch when we're talking about people. If you were to come into my home and you were to look around and say, oh, that's a really nice coffee table. Hmm, I wonder what that coffee table might look like in my house and make it my coffee table. I wouldn't have a problem with that. To be honest, if you gave me enough good reasons, I might just give you my coffee table. Now, if you came into my home and said, huh, that's a really nice wife you have there. I wonder what it would be like if she was my wife. I'd say, please get out of my home. Um, So we we understand this, and this is what Paul is talking about. He's saying, do not have greed for other people. And that's what's happening is that people are coveting other people's spouses, and out of that greed, they're engaging in sexual sin. And Paul uses very harsh language about this. He says, don't even talk about it. Don't even mention it. Don't even let it be mentioned among you. Sexual immorality and greed. Now, obviously, Paul doesn't mean this literally because he's talking about it and we're talking about it. But what he's trying to say is, I don't want you to even see this as a possibility or an opportunity. These two things do not mesh. Your identity as a child of God and these activities, they they don't mesh. There's no future in them. Um, it's very similar, now obviously a lot more innocent, but it's very similar to a child coming up to you and saying, Mom or Dad, can I have some ice cream? No, you can't have some ice cream. Okay, Mom and Dad, can I please have some ice cream? No, you can't have some ice cream. Can I please have some ice cream? You know what? All ice cream stores in the world are closed. Obviously, we know that all ice cream stores in the world aren't closed, but what, what Paul is doing is he's saying to the young child, I don't even want you to think that ice cream is even a possibility. There's no conceivable reality where you can have some ice cream, so stop asking. And so, obviously, Paul wants us to talk about it. This needs to be something that we do talk about. However, he wants to say, don't even mention it among you. I don't even want you thinking that this is in with, within the realm of possibility. Sexual morality, greed, get it out of here. And while Paul encourages us to take these things off, he tells us what to put on. 
says, entirely out of place is obscene, silly, and vulgar talk, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Okay, so he, he tells us to put on thanksgiving. And why does he tell us to do this? It's because sexual immorality and greed are very self-centered things. What can I get? What's in it for me? <clears throat> and when we put on thanksgiving, what ultimately happens is we take the focus off of ourselves. We're not asking what can I get, but rather recognizing what has already been given to me and realizing that I didn't get it, someone gave it to me, and that must be God. So he's saying stop asking what you can get from people and take the time to realize what you've been given by God and give thanks for that. And so here we have it, and Ron's been talking about it, and this is kind of the end of the list. What we have now is kind of our Christian ethic of behavior, right? Uh, Paul's been telling us who we are, what we ought to believe, and how we should behave. There's no falsehood, no stealing, no unwholesome talk, no anger, no sexual sin, and no greed. All right? If we're a child of God, this is the things we're not supposed to do. But here's the thing. This is not a revelation to any of us. All right? Uh, in fact, most of the time when you b- get introduced to Christianity, it's one of the f- these are actually some of the first things that you learn, what you're not supposed to do. Right? And so... Um, Paul, up until this point, he's been telling us what our behavior ought to look like, okay, what should and what shouldn't you do, but the rest of the passage this morning, we're, gonna, we're not going to look at the, the sexual morality and the greed, because Paul makes a shift into something very, uh, Im- very important. He goes from the what to the why, okay, the what to the why. We know we're not supposed to do these things. We, we, we understand that. But Paul wants to say, why? In fact, a lot of the times, the why is a lot more important than the what. Uh, What is the incentive to being righteous? And incentives are a funny thing, right? We have incentives all around us, reasons for why we do stuff. Think about our businesses. There's a reason that all the landscapers at Hillside don't work for one company. Why all the lawyers don't work for one firm, why all the doctors don't work at Spectrum. It's because our business has certain incentives that are different. Higher wage, uh, different working conditions, uh, holiday pay, uh, vacation time, retirement plan, pensions, all of those things. My guess is that if you walked into work tomorrow and they said, okay, sorry, it's going to be a tough, uh, well, Tuesday this week, I guess. Um, We're cutting half your pay and we're getting rid of your health insurance. If you're an engineer, you're not going to be like, well, looks like I can't be an engineer anymore. No, you would say, I'm going to take my skill of being an engineer and go to a different place that offers me better incentives. Um, Passion and love for your job is very important, but oftentimes what keeps us at a job is the fact that we're pleased with the incentives that we've been given. And here's the other funny thing about incentives, is that good deeds can actually become offensive, and bad deeds can actually become justified and relatable. Let me give you a perfect example. This week, I am going to be the world's best husband. You guys don't stand a chance. It's going to be me this week, and I know that for a fact, all right? Uh, This week, I'm going to clean up around the house. I'm going to let my wife pick all of the TV shows, all of the movies that we watch while we're doing it. I may offer to rub her back a couple times, maybe a foot rub if I'm feeling a little extra generous. All right, I'm going to text her at work, and I'm going to let her know that all of the women around her are jealous because she's just so beautiful. I'm gonna, I can't even focus on my work because I'm just thinking about how much I love you and how much I want to tell you that. All the toilet seats are going to be down. 
She's going to walk into the kitchen and think, why do we even need a dishwasher? All my husband is doing is washing all the dishes with soap and a toothbrush. We don't need this. Let's just sell. We'll get more money, right? Um, I, I'm, I'm, seriously, I'm, I'm going to be a fantastic husband this week. Now, let's look at another person. A little less than a month ago, 23-year-old Michigan man walks into a Southline credit union and, tells, and hands a note to the teller and says, give me all the money. Okay, he tried to rob the bank. Um, he got arrested afterwards, but he, he, got, he tried to rob the bank. Now, when we look at these two people, me, the awesome husband, and the bank robber, objectively, obviously I'm the better person. Okay, I don't have time to be doing dumb stuff like robbing banks because I'm too busy making my wife the happiest woman on earth. Right? So, incentives are a funny thing. They can change the, they can change the narrative a little bit. Hypothetically speaking, all right, I'm just thinking off the top of my head here. Say Sunday comes around. Not this Sunday, but I don't know. Let's say Sunday, September 13th, 4.25 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Just off the top of my head, all right? That comes around. And my wife and I, we're sitting down on the couch because that's what we like to do on Sunday. We like to rest. And we've been watching a lot of TV shows, and she's been picking them. Um, and, you know, we're saying, oh, gosh, what should we watch? What should we watch? Oh, look, the Raiders are playing. I didn't even know that. Oh, my goodness, they're playing. They're playing the Cincinnati Bengals. Oh, you know, oh, I forgot. You don't like football all that much, and you really don't like when I watch a couple of games. Oh, how are we going to? Oh, I, that's right. I was such a good husband this week. I let you pick all the TV shows. You should take a page out of my book. You know, it's the least that you can do for me. I was so good this week. You, you should just let me watch this, watch this game. And then maybe a couple games after it if you're feeling a little extra generous. You know, that's what I was doing this week. Now, I'm sorry if I caused some fights this week in a couple of marriages just now. And I'm sorry if I ruined a game plan for anyone. Not sorry at the same time. But the reality is, is when this incentive, and this doesn't happen very often, so I made sure I put that picture up there. Um, but when this becomes the incentive for what I'm doing, you're saying, okay, hold on a second. You're not actually being selfless at all. In fact, it's selfless when you look at it at, at first, but you're actually being really selfish. This selfless act now becomes selfish because that's the picture you have in your mind, not me being an awesome husband. In fact, I actually become kind of a jerk at that point. Let's go back to the young man. See this little girl? <clears throat> um, this is 13-month-old Braylon Randolph. And when she was two months old, she was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer that primarily affects young children. Now, um, she did her, all of her chemo treatments, and everything was going well. And the doctor said, let's give it a break, and let's see what happens. I, we, we think that we, we beat this. Um, and then what ended up happening was she came in for her checkup, and they realized that the tumor had grown and the cancer was still present. So he said, we're going to need to do some more chemo treatments. Well, after her uh, first birthday, the parents unfortunately get a letter in the mail that says, we're sorry, but your Braylon's uh, health insurance has been terminated. You're, she's no longer covered. So now they have to pay for this $50,000 chemo treatment, and they don't have the money for it. So what in the world does dad and mom do? Well, they, they think about all of their possible options. They go to this site called GoFundMe. They put uh, her picture on there, and they tell the story. They say, this is how much we need. And, it, and for whatever reason, I just took this screenshot yesterday. They still don't have the money. So they're thinking, gosh, what do we do? We need to pay for this. We don't even have the extra $3,800 $3, that's going to be needed to, to, to save her life. Mom and dad don't have a car. Rent is due. 
bills are piling up. We all know how this happens. And dad is going out applying for job after job, interview after interview, and rejection after rejection. They're calling all, all, all possible forms of state and federal relief, asking, is there anything you can do to help us? And every single time, getting rejected. And so dad is left sitting there looking at his beautiful daughter in the face. And he's thinking, gosh, the technology exists, the means exist, I have doctors, I have people, everything is there to save my daughter's life. Everything is there for my daughter to see the age two. The only thing that, the only thing that could potentially take away my invaluable daughter's life is a material possession that I don't have enough of, and that's money. Imagine the pain. I'm not a dad, okay? I am a very proud uncle, and this is my niece, Alex. She's the cutest girl in the world, and I'm very happy because I get to be an uncle again very soon. I don't have a kid, but I'll tell you what right now. There is very little things in this world that I would not do to protect her. This little girl, I have only seen her twice in my entire life, but she has my heart. There are a few things in this world that I love more than this little girl. And there's an infinitely longer list of things that I would be willing to do that might shock some of you, and I might lose my job, than the list that I wouldn't be able to do to make sure that when I pick her up the next time I see her, that I see that smile. And that I can look in her face and say, everything is going to be okay, and your life is going to be awesome because you have a family that loves you. And I know that there are people in this room who have kids and grandkids where you say, yeah, me too. Even if you don't have kids or grandkids, there are people in your life where you would say, if the time came, I would give my own life up to make sure that yours could keep going on. And that is what this dad is feeling. And all of a sudden, dad says, I will do anything in this world to make sure that my daughter lives past two. And out of option, dad thinks the only way that I can possibly get money is if I go and I rob a bank. And that's what dad does. He, he doesn't tell anyone. He doesn't bring a gun because he's not trying to have any violence. And he goes into the bank and he tries to rob the bank. Not because he needs more money. Not because he wants to go to Mexico. Not because he wants more possessions. But because of his little daughter and he wants to save her life. Now, there are some ethical problems with this story. I am not advocating that this is the way you solve your problems. This is a troublesome way of troubleshooting. I totally get that. Um, and the dad is in jail because he deserves that you, you can't solve one problem by creating a much bigger problem in your life. That, that's not what I'm advocating at all. However, and I'm guessing, I'm I might be wrong, but I'm guessing, and I don't think I'm wrong, that your sympathies, compassion, and prayers are not with me, who might not get to watch the Raider game now, um, but with this dad who just wants to save his daughter's life. In, in an instant, husband of the year becomes a jerk. <laughs> because this is what you see when I say husband of the year. And then in an instant, most of you, I'm guessing, I might be wrong, but most of you just got the closest you'll ever get to relating to a bank robber. To saying, me too. I w I, if, the, if, the, if it was the perfect storm, I might be in the same situation. All because of incentives. And so Paul makes this switch. He says, the reason that you're doing something is often much more valuable, much more consequential, and much more meaningful than the action itself. Okay, so Paul has been telling us what we need to do, what we need to take off. But why? 
Why do we need to do it? Because if we have the wrong incentives, we might not actually be doing something that's beneficial for us. We need to make sure that our why is right. We need to make sure our incentives and our reasons are in the right place. And Paul gives us four reasons. We're only going to talk about two this morning. But Paul gives us four reasons for why we should be righteous. And the first one, which is a lot of fun, is certainty of judgment. (laughs) Be sure of this, that no fornicator or impure person, or one who is greedy, that is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be associated with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And I really wish after all that I could say that the first incentive is that you're going to live longer. (laughs) But the reality is, and the harsh reality is, is The first incentive that Paul gives us to be righteous is that judgment awaits those who are not. Okay? Now, we need some important clarification. All right, does this mean that if I've, if I've lied, if I've stolen, if I've unwholesome talked, if I've been angry, sexually immoral, impure, greedy, if I've ever participated in any of those things at any point, does that mean that I don't have an inheritance? And I want to confidently say no. And when we look at the, the grammar in this, when we look at the Greek, the, the tense that Paul is using for these things are present tense. He's saying those who are currently fornicators, those who are currently impure, those who are currently greedy, do not currently have an inheritance. Now, that's not to say that uh, someone who's having an affair right now is not going to go to heaven, but what he is saying is you can't have it both ways. You can't be a child of God while at the same time be a child of greed. You can't have God be your God while also having impurity be your God. Those two things don't mix together. It's not possible. The, the key and the difference is repentance. It's possible, it, 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 you can be a, a, your God can be greed, but it's possible to be a child of God who just really messed up. And you know, you fell into greed, you fell into temptation, but you're confident that repentance is the way to being forgiven through Christ's blood and through his, gracious and through his grace and through his love. There's the difference. But he's saying for those people who, whose gods are all of these things, they don't have an inheritance. And here's the thing is, Paul, he affirms this earlier. He, in the first chapter, he says, you Ephesians, you are children of God. You do have an inheritance. I share in that. You've made the right decisions, and I really hope that you continue to make these decisions. Don't get comfortable, and don't start making dumb mistakes again. He's saying, I know this is who you are, but it's a warning. He's saying, the people who claim to be children of God must live as God's holy children. You cannot live as those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he doubles down. He says, don't let anyone try and trick you. Don't let anyone try and deceive you with empty words. Don't let anyone tell you that living a life of sin and disobedience is anything but exactly that. Call a duck a duck. Sin is sin. We cannot afford to lessen or diminish sin's effectiveness saying don't let anyone deceive you can try and justify it but the reality is is that a life that is lived for sin a life that is that is defined by disobedience can never be married with the light with the kingdom of christ and the kingdom of god those two things do not have a future so you have to make a choice is it judgment or is it life is it inheritance or is it separation you ultimately have the choice and Paul, he, he, he even, he does another hyperbole. He says, don't even associate with these people. Now, of course, that's 
we're, I'm not advocating that. I'm not saying that you can't go talk to anyone who's ever been in an affair or anything like that. But what Paul is trying to get through their head again, remember, the ice cream store is closed. <laughs> Don't think that this is a possibility, that you can do these things and still claim to be a child of God. This cannot, you, you can't have it both ways. It has to be one. And while none of us enjoy the idea of judgment, Paul closes this particular incentive with some words that I love. He says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And when I see these words, I'm reminded of a loving parent disciplining their child. Okay, what Paul is saying is, look, you were darkness. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. You did do these bad things. You were in a very bad spot. You were at enmity with God. Just like you would tell your kid, look, I'm not going to say you didn't kick the dog. You did it, all right? I'm not going to say that you didn't come home after curfew. You, you, I'm not going to say you didn't disappoint us. I'm not going to say that you acted contrary to the way that we've brought you up to be. But now, right now, currently, presently, in this moment, you are in the Lord. You are my child. You are a product of light, not darkness, because of God. Your past mistakes do not define you, but your present standing in the Lord does. And you are light which is the opposite of darkness. This is who you were, and this is who you now are. Okay, this is the classic A on the report card. C's are no longer a proper representation of your effort. And it's the same reason why kids get in trouble for, the, for doing the same thing again than, you know, the first time they get in trouble. Very classic story. When, my, when I was a sophomore in college, I came home, and me and my sister Samantha uh, decided that we wanted to go do donuts in the Reno High School parking lot. Because there was a new uh, fresh coat of snow. So we go out. We're walking out the door. We're totally ready for it. And then we hear my mom say, Eric and Samantha O'Connell, do not go do donuts in the Reno High School parking lot. So what did we do? We stayed back. And of course we didn't. We got in our car and we said, okay, mom, that's not what we're doing. We're just going to go do this. We got in our car and we went straight to the Reno High School parking lot. We started doing donuts. We're doing donuts. We're taking videos of it. We're loving it, having a fantastic time. And what happens, and this is a warning for all you other high school students and college students out there, when you start doing donuts, you lose control of your car. And what happens? Our, my car went straight into a curb and it de- completely destroyed the right par- side of my car. It was no longer drivable past like 15 miles an hour because of this. So what did we do? We went home. We told my mom, of course not. We deleted all the videos <laughs> and we drove to another parking lot and said, how could we conceivably hit this curb? What's a story that we can tell mom so that she can understand that we weren't doing donuts in the Reno High School parking lot? And that's what we did. We fabricated a whole story and we told my mom this and she believed it. And the reason we went through all of that trouble, and the reason why I didn't have a car my sophomore year of college, was because I knew I was going to get in so much more trouble for doing donuts than if I had done something equally foolish. Because my mom told me, don't do donuts in the parking lot. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, don't do donuts in the parking lot, but in much different words. Look, you can't do this because this is what awaits you. If you do these things, if you don't take these things off, and if you don't put these things on, this is what awaits you. It's judgment. So that's Paul's first incentive. The second incentive he gives us is the fruit of the light. And this incentive is twofold. There's one for us and there's one for others. But the first, inse- the first part of this incentive is for us, and it's true satisfaction. Okay? He says, live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And... <clears throat> 
Paul starts out with the A on the report card affirmation again. Look, I know what you can do, so do it. This is who you are, so do it. Be a child of the light. And what does that look like? It means being, it means being full of goodness, righteousness, and truth. And if you allow me to go back to the report card example, I, I don't know about you guys, if, if there's anyone who has never brought home straight A's and then did, I'll tell you what, it is the best feeling in the world. I mean, C's and B's are fun because you're not doing your homework, right? You're out having fun with your friends, staying up late, playing video games, doing all that type of stuff, or whatever you guys did that you got C's and B's for. But, man, when report card day comes, that is like the reckoning. It is like, I am in so much trouble. That day where I knew I brought home straight A's, it was like the best day of my life. Because I came home and I knew I was not going to get in trouble. I came home, I knew that I had learned something. I was in good standing with my teachers. I, I, I had done something good and nothing compared to the joy of my mom and my dad saying, we are so proud of you. Good job. And what Paul is saying is that we need to live as children of the light because it's like bringing home a straight A report card to your parent all the time, but it's way better. (laughs) Okay, people spend their whole life looking for things in their life that are good, that are righteous, and that are true. And Paul is saying by living as a child in the light, these are the things that you get to experience on a daily basis. You always get to have this satisfaction. You always get to know that the things that people are searching for in their life belong to you because of Christ. And for those that may not be as convinced that that good feeling, that satisfaction is worth it, he gives us insight into what darkness looks like. He says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. And if you, it says, but rather expose them. And if you look at the Greek, um, what it, there's multiple definitions that are used. It's, it's useless. Fruitless means useless, unproductive, an action that results in nothingness. Um, Some of you may have seen the movie In Time. It's not a particularly good movie, but it has has a very fascinating concept. Um, Every person in the world at the age 25, their body physically goes on pause, and they get to remain 25 for the rest of their life. Okay, metabolism and everything. They stay 25. If you're 105, you look 25. But what happens is you get this thing, this timer on your arm that lets you know how much longer you have to live. And everyone gets the same amount of time. So what happens is the rich people in this culture are the people who have all the time in the world. And the poor people are like this man who only has 59 more seconds to live. Money is not a thing. Their currency is time. You buy a soda, it's 10, it's 10 minutes, or it's 10 seconds. You buy a house, it's two years. You buy Raider tickets, and you're kind of foolish, and you get two weeks, so you're in double trouble. Um, so, it, it, but the people here in this culture would not waste their time on anything. Every single second is precious to them. And what Paul is saying is that by going into fruits of darkness, by living in the darkness, you are essentially living in this culture and throwing your time away. Everything that you're doing, what it's ultimately resulting in is nothingness. It's useless. It's unproductive. Nothing you're doing in the darkness is helpful to you as a person, not even considering the child of God part, to you as a person. And he uses this to say, look, when you're in the dark, you're wasting your time. But when you're in the light, you're being satisfied by things like goodness, by righteousness, and by truth. And what I love is how Paul encourages them to figure this out. Paul says, find out what pleases the Lord. He doesn't say, do it because I said so. He doesn't say, do it because that's what good Christians do. He says, find out. And the Greek, the the definition, the alternate definitions they give for find out means put something to the test. Examine it. 
So what Paul is saying is, look, if you don't believe me, spend, I don't encourage this, and I really hope you don't do it, but if you don't believe me, go spend some time in the darkness. Do it. Seriously, do it. Spend some time in the darkness, and when you're walking around, not being able to see what's in front of you, when you keep banging up your knees because you keep running into walls, when you keep doing all these things, you are going to, the only thing in life that you're going to hope for is that glimmer, that little beam of light. When all you do is live in darkness, you're going to find out quickly that the only thing you want in life is light. And when you get that light, you want more of it. And you don't ever want to let it go. You don't ever want to go back into the darkness. And you want to show everyone else around you how horrible the darkness is. You want to expose the darkness for what it truly is, useless and unworth your time. Paul is saying we have true satisfaction when we become righteous. But the other one, and this is the, we'll, we'll close with this one. This incentive is pretty cool, but it's so hard to do. The other one is you become a light to others. Okay? Paul says it's shameful to even mention what the b- disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Here's the thing. We've all got our secrets. Okay? Um, none of us in this room are perfect. Uh, And Paul just encouraged all children of light to act as children of light, which entails exposing darkness. And Paul says it's, you know, it's shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret, but here's, and so it's very easy for us to think, okay, he's talking about the really bad people outside of the church. This isn't talking about us. But here's the thing. People who are outside of faith, people who are outside of the church, people who are outside of really caring what God thinks about what they're doing, they're not really doing anything in secret because they don't really see what they're doing to be very wrong. I mean, we all, some of us have, you know, non-Christian friends on Facebook where it's like, how in the world are you posting that? I would, you know, get in so much trouble. Someone would be calling me. But the reality is they don't have a need to do it in secret because they, they don't really care that much that they're, this is being seen. It's not bad. So when Paul says... The, the disobedient and secret, really what he's doing is he's talking about people in the church. Okay, he, he, he's saying you don't go into secret unless you know your actions have to be covered. Okay, light does not try and conceal itself by light. <laughs> light tries to conceal itself when it tries to blend in with darkness. That's when light tries to conceal itself. Paul is saying children of light expose that which is in the darkness. If you are the one in darkness, expose expose the light on that darkness. If you have a brother or sister in Christ in darkness, shine your light on them. Do not allow them to continue to live in darkness. And now, this is not an encouragement to after the service, everyone line up, and we're going to go one by one and say, okay, here's where you're in darkness, here's that. No, that's not going to work. But it is an encouragement to let those know around you how their time is being useless and unproductive. And we do this with very unimportant things all the time. Can't tell you how many times my wife has said, don't buy that app. <laughs> don't buy this. That's going to be unproductive and useless. Don't do that. Why are you doing that today? That's just, that's just dumb. But very rarely do we tell each other, you know what? This action, this behavior, this pattern that you're exhibiting I understand, this is very hard for me to tell you this, but you have to understand, this is affecting you in multiple ways. As a child of God, as it's affecting your marriage, it's affecting your relationships, it's affecting everything around you. Rarely do we actually talk about those hard things. But Paul is saying, and and 
Paul is saying that by being light, we expose the ugly, the darkness that's in the light. And I love how the lights are actually on in here because it's really what we're seeing is this is different, kind of uncomfortable, but we can see each other very clearly. And that's what Paul is talking about. He's saying, look, uh, when you look in your attic, it doesn't look very good, but at least you can see it. And so what Paul is saying is by exposing the light, it might take our seconds or it might take our eyes a few seconds to adjust to the unfavorable reality that we're looking at, but at the very least, we're not remaining ignorant, and at the very least, we're not allowing our brothers and sisters in Christ or ourselves to say, I will live in darkness anymore, saying, I love you and I care about you too much to let you live in darkness. You need to be in the light. And the, very, and the second thing that Paul says, which is so cool, and it's very interesting, he says, everything that is illuminated becomes a light. And it's a very simple principle, but this, this auditorium is lighter because there's, lighter, there's brighter lights. When you're, in a, when you're outside during winter in a meadow or whatever, it's very dark and it's scary. But when the sun comes onto it, it becomes light, it becomes beautiful. The very characteristic of it, that which the light is shining on, changes. And Paul is saying the same goes for us, that when we live righteous lives... Okay, when we take off what we're called to take off and we put on what we're supposed to put on through the power of Christ in some crazy, unexplainable way, we actually gain the capacity and the ability to potentially turn things around us into light. We have the ability to change our surroundings. We have the ability to change the dark things in this world into light, the evil things into good things, into righteous things, and into truthful things. And this is scary because exposure can often come off as judgmental, and, and it can come off as, as condemning. But as children of light, when we expose the dark things in our community, and we expose the dark things around us, not only do we allow others to see the ugliness of the, of the darkness, but we actually, through Christ's power, have this ability to allow them to see how they need to become children of light. By taking off and putting on the things which Paul's instructed us to, we actually have the ability to change the world around us. By doing this, by shining light on things, we actually have the ability to make the things in this world look like and reflect the very image of God. And that is an awesome reason to want to be righteous. I don't know about you, but that is a very good incentive for me to want to be the person that God has called me to be. Don't take off these things because I'm telling you. Don't take off these things because Paul's telling you. Don't take them off because you think you're going to be a better Christian if you do it. Take these things off because they're darkness. And, and, and Paul's saying, put these things on so that you might truly realize how rewarding a life sought after Christ in the light truly is compared to a life that sought after serving yourself. And I want to close with Paul's words. In this passage, he says, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Everything that Paul's been saying, everything we've been saying uh, can be found in this verse. Become righteous, not because it's the rules. Become righteous, not because we told you to, but be righteous because through it, you might escape the power of death. And then Christ's light will shine on you in such a way that it will transform your life and everyone else that comes in contact with it. And those are some pretty good incentives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your light. We thank you that once we were darkness and now we are children of light. God, give us the power, give us the strength, the boldness, and the confidence to act as children of light and to walk into it so that we might be transformed, God, and everything around us might be transformed.
God, be with us as we go from this place. In your name we pray. Amen.